1965, Esther Castanelli was ill. Her days spent in agony as she coped with pain in her stomach and lower back. Skin pale, she grew sicker as the days went on. Vomiting, numbness, and fatigue plagued her. Doctors didn't know what was going on. They ruled everything they diagnosed out. Esther was hospitalized, checked in Vancouver General Hospital. Staff kept her under constant supervision for any clues to her illness. Her condition worsened in their care. She had trouble eating, and the only thing she could keep down? A vanilla milkshake from White Spot, delivered by her quasi-famous husband, Rene Castelloni. She died weeks after being checked into the hospital. The murder weapon? The milkshake. And I'm not talking about diabetes. It's time for another dreadful story of Vancouver's dark history. This is the tale of the milkshake murderer, Rene Castani. Vancouver Dreadfuls is a podcast about the dark, odd, and horrifying criminal history of Vancouver. Listener discretion is advised. Gruesome content detailed ahead. This is Vancouver Dreadfuls. Rene and Esther Castellani were both born in 1925. Rene was born in Quebec and Esther in Calgary. They both grew up in Vancouver during the Depression. They both struggled in the early parts of their lives. Esther's family had a bakery on Davie Street. Like her brother and sister, she dropped out of school so she can work full-time at the family business. With the Great Depression, the family had to work together to make sure the bakery stayed open. During her childhood, her stepfather sexually assaulted her. With an unhappy childhood, Esther remained positive and upbeat. Her laughter was a defining feature that caught Renee's ear. Renee's family had a deli where Robson Square now sits. Described as a charismatic performer with a wonderful voice, he often found himself in trouble, small depths, consistently shifting from one place to another and possibly starting suspicious fires. There were always questions around Renee but nothing certain. At 21 years old in 1946, Renee and Esther married at Holy Rosary Cathedral with a reception in Stanley Park. The married couple moved into a suite above Esther's family bakery and had a daughter named Janine. In the 1950s to early 1960s, Renee had trouble keeping himself employed. Bouncing from sales to washing machine repairman to nightclub owner, he found himself in costly get-rich schemes trying to catch up on rising debts and failed projects. He always wanted to be a celebrity, even tried being an actor without success. In 1964, one of Vancouver's top radio stations, CKNW, hired him. At this point in the 60s, radio was losing the war against television for people's time and entertainment. A variety of channels, better picture quality, and hit shows like Gilligan's Island, Andy Griffin, and The Brady Bunch entertained the masses in a way radio couldn't. For this story, we'll talk about CKNW. CKNW began in New Westminster in 1944. It was Vancouver's first country music station before switching to a new talk show format shortly after. It was the radio stunts and pranks that helped Renee gain celebrity status in Vancouver. On air, Renee was known as the Disney Dialer he would call random people and play trivial phone gags on them. Some of these gags would be, is your refrigerator running? 
informing the person on the other end they won a prize but would have to do a crazy task for it, conducting a fake survey. These prank calls were mostly uninspired and harmless. It was an easy stick, and oftentimes unoriginal, as most of these were copied from other radio stations across North America or rejigged jokes from television shows like I Love Lucy. For listeners who don't know the pleasures of a prank call in the era before caller ID, it's like being rickrolled. While prank calls gave Rene some renown in Vancouver, it was his stunts he performed on the public that made him famous. The Maraja Hall of Alibaba was one of the first stunts he pulled where he gained notoriety. A rival radio station, CKLG, was doing a promotion where they hired actor Marvin Miller, who appeared on the show called The Millionaire, to hand out money to strangers. People listening to the station would receive hints about where Miller would be. This bumped up the ratings. The promotions department at CKNW realized this was a popular gimmick to attract listeners. They had to counter with something of their own. The promotions department at CKNW realized this was a popular gimmick to attract listeners. They had to counter with something of their own. The Maharaja of Alibaba was born. Rene dressed up in East Indian garments and pretended he was a ruler of a country called Alibaba, whom he has come to British Columbia to buy it. Following Rene as this character, an entourage of driver, guards, and harem girls who would follow him around Vancouver. They would go to clubs, restaurants, hotels, drive-ins, and BC Lions games to interact with people and reward them with a silver dollar. A reporter from CKNW would often appear at these functions to interview Rene as this zany character. People believed the stunt was real, and British Columbia would be renamed Britel Biambia. Signs appeared all over BC with the slogan, Keep BC British. After a few weeks, the Maharaja departed British Columbia, giving one last interview to CKNW before flying off on his magic carpet. Rene loved the role because of the attention he received from all over British Columbia. It made him feel important. I'm sure if this happened today, two things would happen. People will call CKNW out for the promotion being racist and forcing stereotypes. People will probably believe it's still real. For the record, BC was never sold. After the success of the Maharaja promotion, Rene became more of a celebrity. His co-workers thought he was talented, outgoing, and funny. Someone who was charismatic, a team player, and have a conversation with. He did favors for his co-workers, like getting autographs from the Beatles when he was on assignment when they were in Vancouver. One person in particular who became interested in Renee was a woman named Lolly Miller. Miller was born as Adeline Ann Miller, but goes by Lolly. Miller was recently widowed with a young son at 25. Her husband passed in a freak boating accident and drowned. She's described as someone with a bit of money, young, and good looking. She worked as a receptionist at CKNW. Renee, 15 years her senior, started talking to her and the two of them started a passionate, scandalous affair. Renee and Miller started their affair in 1964. Before the end of the year, Renee's wife, Esther, had suspicions. She received calls from an anonymous source claiming her husband is going around with someone else. With a bit of snooping, she found a love letter from Miller to Renee in one of his suit pockets. Those days when he left for work early or did overtime now meant something different to Esther. 
She wasn't pleased. She thought she was getting replaced by a younger, beautiful, 25-year-old. Now that her husband was a minor celebrity, it was time to trade up. Renee apologized to Esther, reassuring her it wasn't what it seemed. Esther was persistent, though continuously asking about Miller and what Renee was up to in the office. It was a month later after the confrontation, Esther started to feel sick. This was the start of a slow, painful death by arsenic via daily white spot vanilla milkshakes. When Esther first started getting sick, friends thought nothing of it. She had a terrible diet, smoked heavily, and drank too much caffeine. Doctors couldn't find any reason for her gastric distress. Meanwhile, the affair continued. It wasn't a secret around the office, and management wasn't too happy. They were both disciplined by the station and asked for resignation. Miller quit, but Renee refused playing the sympathy card that his wife was ill and how he's looking after her. Management let him stay on in the end. Renee began talking to a few close friends about divorcing Esther, but decided murder was the way to go. You may wonder, why didn't he just divorce her? Surely it would be the easier solution than poisoning her daily milkshake. Divorces are a common occurrence in modern day society. In the States, they have drive-through divorces for your convenience. In 1965 British Columbia, it was tougher. You need to prove adultery alongside any of the following, bestiality, domestic violence, or incest. When the divorce was finalized, if it wasn't deemed a private act, it could be published in the papers alongside all the details of the filing. Renee, who just achieved local celebrity status in Vancouver, would be scandalized for his affair with Miller. As we have discussed, CKNW didn't approve of this affair, and most of society wouldn't. I mean, how can you end up being the good guy in a headline that says, man cheats on sick wife with younger woman? Esther, slowly being poisoned for weeks, had developed pain in her stomach and back. Her hands and toes were numb. She was checked in Vancouver General Hospital in May 1965 under Dr. Bernard Moscovich. While hospitalized, Esther went through blood work, x-rays, and electrocardium multiple times during her stay. Poison never came up as a possibility because Renee played the lovingly distressed celebrity husband in front of hospital staff. Renee showed up to the hospital late at night to stay by his wife's side. He would deliver her poisoned vanilla milkshakes, the only thing she was able to keep down at the time. Esther did show signs of improvement, but that's because her husband was busy performing another one of his promotional stunts and was unable to visit. During the time when Esther's condition improved, Renee was on assignment for CKNW called Guy in the Sky. It was a promotion for a car dealership. The stunt called for him to live in a station wagon on top of a giant neon Bomax sign that used to be on Broadway, promising not to come down until every car on the lot was sold. This took nine days. Renee would go on air live in the station wagon, updating the progress of the promotion. Since he was supposed to be in the station wagon for the entire duration of the promotion, the daily poison milkshake delivery stopped happening, and Esther showed improvements in her condition. Renee was surprised. Renee didn't take the news that his wife was recovering well. He became overly inquisitive with the staff, asking how her recovery was possible, even asking a nurse how soon Esther may die if she got worse. He started upping the dose of arsenic in her milkshakes. Esther became sicker. 
On her deathbed, Esther couldn't keep water down. Blisters and rashes ravaged her body. The slightest touch of skin was painful. She was put on oxygen. During Esther's last days, her mother asked Renee if he had any idea why her daughter was dying. Renee replied, When a house burns down, I don't look for a fire. I look around to build a new one. And that's what he did. On June 29th, while Esther was on life support, he went house shopping with Miller. On the day Esther died, their mortgage for a large house was approved. The medical examiner attributed the death of Esther to heart failure and viral infection of unknown origins. Arsenic is present in many natural occurring minerals, more commonly in sulfur and metals. It's been used as a poisoning ingredient for hundreds of years and was nicknamed Poison of Kings. In the Middle Ages, kings often had a servant taste their food for this reason. Arsenic is colorless, odorless, and tasteless. When the taster tried the food, they would say it tasted fine. The king would eat and then eventually die from arsenic poisoning. The delivery mechanism of a vanilla milkshake for the arsenic helped Renee. The sugary sweet drink would motivate Esther to keep drinking, laying more of the poison inside her body. Renee started with a lower dose of arsenic, meaning Esther only suffered from symptoms like vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Over long periods of time, these also included cramps, tingling of fingers and toes, and abnormal heart rhythm. When Renee upped the dose of arsenic after his Guy in the Sky promotion, Esther started developing rashes, blisters, and darkened swollen skin. She died within a few weeks of the dose increase. Normally, blood and urine tests should be enough to catch arsenic poisoning. The doctors had no reason to suspect poisoned. Renee almost got away with it. A loss of a loved one is a terrible thing. It takes people months, maybe years, to cope with the death of a spouse. Renee? He moved in with Miller, along with his daughter and Miller's son, into their new home. As a grief-saving gift, CKNW gave the grieving widower and daughter a free trip to Disneyland. Renee invited Miller and her son along for the trip. Prosecutors were fortunate for two reasons. One, Renee didn't cremate his wife's body and instead buried her. Renee agreed to exhumation of her body. This was because of a conversation he had with his coworker, Jack Webster. If he denied prosecutors the request to dig up her body, it'll look suspicious. Of course, this would only be a good vice if Renee was innocent. There was so much arsenic in the body, they could determine how long Esther was being poisoned for by her hair and nails. Esther had been dead for less than a year. Renee and Miller applied for a marriage license, and a week later, Renee was arrested for the murder of his wife. Renee was found guilty and lost his appeal. There was too much evidence against him. The witness testimonies from friends, co-workers, and hospital staff provided prosecution the details they needed for a motive. Renee killed Esther so he could be with Miller. The toxicology report detailed how long Esther was poisoned for, even showing a dip and resurgence of poisoning when Renee was doing the Guy in the Sky promotion for nine days. Speaking of that Guy in the Sky promotion, Renee didn't actually stay up there for nine days. He sneaked down to visit Miller at night. The heartbreaking moment of the trial? His 13-year-old daughter, Janine, taking the witness stand, proclaiming her father's innocence despite the overwhelming evidence that said otherwise. 
She accused one of her aunts of murdering her mom, a lie she was told to say by Renee. At the end of the trial, Renee was sentenced to death. Two weeks before Renee's scheduled execution, Canada temporarily suspended the death penalty and then abolished it. His death penalty was changed to a life sentence. He only spent 13 years in prison, given privileges to leave on weekends, and by the end was fully paroled for his crimes. A free man in 1979, he became a promotions manager for a country radio station in Nanaimo called CKEG. He also remarried shortly after, but in 1982, he died of cancer on January 4th. He only had three years of freedom. What happened to everyone else? After the trial, Janine lived with Miller and her son for five years. Once Miller found a new husband, she pawned Janine off to one of her aunts. She wouldn't come to terms with the murder of her mother until she was in her 20s. The one thing that catches my attention about this story is how nonchalant Rene Castellani was during the whole ordeal. His minor celebrity status went straight to his head, and within a year and a half, he lost everything. He flaunted his affair with Miller in front of co-workers and friends. He was narcissistic and played up his sick wife for sympathy while planning vacations and moving in with his mistress. Even then, he almost got away with it. What caught him in the end? His ego. He thought he was untouchable and in the clear, so he let the police exhume Esther's body. Who I'm really sad for in this tragic tale? Janine, the daughter of Renee and Esther Castellani. She eventually worked with a writer named Eve Lazarus and worked on a book titled Murdered by Milkshake. Thank you for listening. Did you enjoy this dreadful? The Vancouver Dreadfuls team needs your support to keep this going, and there are many ways to help out. Send your feedback and comments to vancouverdreadfuls at gmail.com. Follow our social media pages at Vancouver Dreadfuls Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Vancouver Dreadfuls and subscribe to our Spotify and YouTube channels at Vancouver Dreadfuls. Lastly, we're running a Kickstarter for season two. Please check it out if you want more dreadful tales. Today's episode has been hosted by Christopher Glant. Audio recorded and post-produced by Rodrigo Robinet. Social media is managed by Sandra Reaño. Animation and motion graphics by Nathan Moran. And art created by Nixon.